0: hello the internet and welcome to the screen and needle podcast where my compadres and i get to select one film one album and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two i hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture My name is will holden and today i am joined by andy melbourne how you doing good yeah hi will hi buddy and also mark wall how's it going man yeah good as well thank you excellent uh this week's choices were picked by andy andy what were your choices the film choices wild at heart and then we'll be looking
1: at the album mm3 by meta meta and we'll be listing our top five nicholas cage films
0: so I have uh, I've watched this today, so it's real fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I have uh, I have lots of thoughts, I think. Me too. It is a it's a weird film. I mean, it's a David Lynch film, so that's sort of the territory in it. That's going without saying. And I think I remember you telling me, like, you just couldn't decide whether you loved it or hated it. Mm. And I completely get it. I don't know whether this was, like, a masterpiece or a bin fire.
1: The thing is, the first time I watched it, I hated it. There were a lot of things about it that I actually really love. Like, I think there were bits of it that are 10 out of 10, and there are a lot of bits of it that are like 1 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I can't say it's a 5 out of 10 film because it's not, it's not like bang average.
0: No, it's anything but average. What, what's your overall impression, Marco?
2: Well, I'll start by saying I've had it for years. Obviously, it's sold accidentally. That was classic. Um, <laughs> but previously, I'd literally watched the the first five minutes. So it gets to the point where Cage beats the shit out of the guy mm-hmm. at the start, and there's the crazy metal soundtrack yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I turned it off. Okay, so that's, that's where I was going in on this. I just literally had to turn it off and was like, fuck this. So this time, I watched that first five minutes again. And turned hormones. it off again. <laughs> <laughs> like, but obviously, I stuck with it, and I actually loved it. I think it's awesome. There's, there's no split for me. I'm, I'm fully, fully in the awesome camp. I, I don't know where, it, I don't know where these one out of ten scenes are. You, you'll have to
0: tell me. Because uh, okay, well, we've got, we've got a lot to go through. I mean, that for a start, like I'm going to disagree with you immediately because I think that opening scene is. Awful, awful. Awfully (laughs) awesome. Like that suit he's wearing. (laughs) Awful. It's like pinstripe tweed shoulders and arms and then just like a plain plain blue blazer for the rest of it is just inspired. It switches from that like like a bit of swing jazz into like you say, just like proper heavy metal while he's bashing this guy's head in and then as soon as he's like bashed his head for the last time just straight back to swing jazz and everything's cool. My biggest criticism of the film
1: is that I really hate is it Sailor, Nick Cage's character. I really hate him as a character. It's not that I have particular like criticisms of Nicolas Cage's like performance as him. Like for a bit I was sort of unsure whether that was what David Lynch wanted, but I think it is. And I think like the character is just a I don't know, it's like a past like it's like pastiche, like it's <laughs> It just feels like everything is a cliche. I don't see any sort of believability in the character at all. I, I mean, I completely agree. I just I don't think that was the aim. Like, I don't think... Well, I sort of agree with that now, and that's why I'm not criticising
0: Cage for it. <laughs> I'm criticising Lynch for it. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you just, like, plain don't like it, I think that that's that's fair enough. Oh, I but... hate the character.
2: I do agree. The, the entire first half of the film, I think I sort of thought every scene without those two in it, is incredible. Like, all the side characters are brilliant. Yeah, a lot of them. And as soon, yeah. as soon as it went back to those guys, I was like, well, yeah, this, this is kind of a shit bit. But I, I came around on them a little bit by the end. Yeah, I agree, they're probably not the most likeable, and his character is a bit of an arse. But it, I don't but know, it I, didn't really bother me. The thing is,
1: everybody else is so... Like, it's supposed to be a... Like, it's a horrible, grim portrayal of America, isn't it? Like, I think they're supposed to be the... Starcross lover characters. I know there's a bit of... I feel like you're almost supposed to, like, forgive them because they live with all this, like, shit. But there's just... They're just, like, 2D drawings of
0: characters. I think you're right. I think it's... It's never going to hinge on its plot. But I think what I like... I, so I think I do like it. I think, like, I probably will come down on the side of liking it. But just kind of as a cinematic experience rather than a story... I, I didn't care what happened to them, but I, I did like his sort of naff Elvis Presley impersonation full of quotes that didn't mean anything or go anywhere. When they, when uh, him and Laura Dern first meet, and he's just got that line like, hey, my snakeskin jacket, thanks, baby. And I was like, I like this guy already. <laughs> and there's a bit later on when, uh, I mean, in one of the more surreal moments, they go to a metal concert and oh. then like, partway through a guy starts hitting on Laura Dern and the entire play, like the band just stopped playing. Yeah. So they can have this discussion. And he, what is his line about? Like, I love my snakeskin jacket. Like it's a symbol of my individuality. So Yeah. That's yeah. right.
3: <laughs>
0: and then, and then sings like a crooner song. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I, I really like those like reality breaking things. And I think th- there's a dip for me in the middle a little bit where some of the kind of lynchiness, just gets a bit old for a while. Willem Dafoe kind of picks the film back up, but we'll we'll swing back round to Oh, I've got lots of thoughts on Dafoe. To, to Defoe because yeah, that's it, it's a pre-towering performance. <laughs> um,
2: but I don't know, when stuff gets lynchy is when I was getting interested, to be honest.
0: I mean I liked I think a lot of it was lynched throughout. Like the characters are really lynchy. They're like this kind of 30s, 40s, 50s American pastiche book all with a like incredibly dark undercurrent, like this sort of veneer of perfect white picket mm. America. And I think that's pretty classic Lynch as not I think he comes back to that sort of idea a couple of times. I mean, particularly with Twin Peaks, I think is is almost specifically that. And like I say, with the whole concert thing, I thought it was rad. There was just a, a there was a point, I think, when Johnny is being killed by that sort of weird group of assassins. Mm. At that point, I was just saying, I'm just kind of tired of the incessant like craziness and to look down and think i'm an hour through like this is this is the halfway point of the film like i say it does pick back up for me but uh it takes a little while
1: it's funny that because i actually for me i think the final third of the film is the weakest part of the film i think it sort of tails off towards i really hate the end as well but i'll save that for
0: later but yeah i I don't entirely agree like I, i i agree like i don't like the end but Sort of the point when Defoe comes into the film to the point he amazingly exits the film. Uh, I just, I basically think all of that stretch, whether Defoe's in it or not, pretty gold. Apart from like just one incredibly disturbing scene. Bobby
1: Peru is the most like repulsive character.
0: Like he makes my skin crawl
1: just by standing in the back of a scene. One hundred percent the best bit of the film. Like anything that had
0: Willem Defoe in. Yeah. There are some bits of it like movie making bits I think is kind of cool. There's a scene where like Laura Dern's mum, uh played by is it Diane Ladd? Got this all. Her real mum. Her real mum, yeah. Yeah, Diane. Diane It is. Diane Ladd I know that.
1: That's cool. Mm. Some of those scenes must have been incredibly uh uncomfortable
0: filming, I imagine, with your (laughs) mum on set or your daughter on set. Yeah, just I mean, just doing any scenes with Nicolas Cage and be like, "So you're going to be rooting my daughter in a scene later? Good. <laughs> look forward. <laughs> look forward to watching that back. But there's a bit where she kind of uh, she corners him in the toilet and uh, makes it clear that she thinks he's seen something in the past,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that's why that's why she had him trying to get him killed. But Nicolas Cage kind of loses temper and punches the door. And in that split second he hits the door, it's just like two, be- two beats of the metal music just kind of come in for that one hit. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a real cool bit of sort of movie making. And when he's singing the crooner song, I don't know if you noticed, but like there's a scream in the crowd and it's just like that um, you know, like Casio keyboard scream that you can do in like different tones depending on what key and it's just the same right. scream like over and over again yeah i did notice that yeah and i think it's it, just there to just I sort didn't... of generally disorientate you just sort of slightly creep you out
2: hmm. his his use of sound design in in general is is incredible even more so in a twin peaks Firewalk with me which i think is the one he did after at yeah. heart and he's the he's the only uh director i can think of who is like the um, sort of little house out in the desert or whatever where the uh, Isabella Rossellini character lives and it just shows it from the outside like once and there's just like a slight rumble or something and it's already kind of like a little bit ominous somehow even though he's not doing anything it's just a still shot. I mean he goes back to it later and the car comes in and he just crashes in with this like three seconds of like wild jazz or something. It's... it's, (laughs) But it's, it's genuinely just like, fucking hell. Like, I was well into it. but he, And he's one of the only guys that can sort of do that. That's why all the stuff you said that was getting a bit to you with the lynching stuff, that was, that was what was keeping me involved, to be honest. I, I,
1: I don't mind the lynching stuff either. Like, I think that scene in the nightclub that ends with Cage-like crooning is a mm. great scene. Like, the one where there's the car crash in the... um yeah car crash at night and the girl dies
0: is, uh, I mean, it's super weird, but it's like a stunning little scene. It's really intense and, and oddly moving. Like they just sort of watch this girl die.
1: But I find that with Lynch a lot. Like he definitely evokes emotion all the time. There's, yeah, like, for there's, sure. Like the, there's a whole, the whole film has a, like unsettling, like undercurrent throughout it, whether anything's really happening or not. And it's yeah. it's funny as well.
0: But there's just so many bits of it I hate, like really hate. Some bits of it are funny. Along those sort of lines, and going back to something you said earlier, Andy, like I'm not sure that Lynch kind of cares about an, a message or that like the characters don't develop at all, particularly the, the main two. like The story develops because of introduction of different characters sort of all the time.
1: Even the story's kind of irrelevant. I mean, it is basically just a little road trip.
0: Yeah, but I think, like you say, he does evoke emotion. I just think it's about, for him, it's just about evoking that emotion, not sort of why or what it lends to the plot. I think, like, it almost feels like he wants a scene that does this, so I'm going to write it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's about the spectacle. I
1: don't know, Mark, you may have watched it. On the DVD of um, uh, Twin Peaks, the, the latest series,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, there was loads of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, whenever they show Lynch... Like, I don't think he gives his actors any freedom at all to do anything. Like, there's no, like, riffing on lines or anything, but even down to, like, your intonation on lines or the exact way that you gesture. Like I say, the first time I saw it, I wasn't sure whether it was entirely what lynch wanted but i'm i i do not think he would have made a film unless it was entirely what he wanted i think he's a hundred percent it's exactly no, I think,
0: what he wants right? yeah i think that's i think it, it succeeds in what it's going for whether what it's going for is of any interest is a real different question but yeah I, I definitely get the impression like that is exactly how he wanted it mm. uh, to be made it's a real sexy film uh, before we reach the hour, the, the half hour mark, we've already had two relatively explicit sex scenes. I guess for a Hollywood film of, of, uh, of this era, there's lots of sex. I'm not sure you can say it's a sexy film. It's no. That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it's kind of gross. Um, but there's, there's a bit later on where they kind of clip together some of the earlier sex scenes and run it with a coloured filter. I sometimes, on a couple of occasions, a bit like that, I thought of like Lynch. I wonder if he actively decides to, like, go against pretty basic rules of cinema. <laughs> like, I think there are some choices he's made in there that if you didn't know he'd made them on purpose would be like a student's mistake. Mm. Be like, oh, I've just, you know, I thought that's how it, that went together.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think there's a load of stuff which probably got cut as well. I did sort of try and read into it a bit. I noticed in the opening credits, I was like, oh, awesome, Crispin Glover's in this. I mean, it got to the end, I was like, where the fuck was Crispin Glover?
0: Ah, did you know? He's,
2: he's like that Dell character or whatever. But I swear he's in one scene, I don't even think he has a line. No,
0: nope. no, he's barely in it. The,
2: the guy's <laughs> like fourth or fifth on like the cast list at the start. He's like,
0: pretty, pretty high up the cast list.
2: Um, so I think some of his stuff was cut, but yeah, I mean... How much of it is planned and how much of it is just in his mad head, I I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, I just... I kind of agree that it doesn't really... I don't know what the meaning is. I don't know what if the characters are supposed to be particularly likable. It doesn't... I just found it super enjoyable.
1: Like, I might be reading too much into it. Bear in mind as well that I've been very confused on this film for about 10 years, and this is the third time I've watched it. (laughs) I get the idea that... I mean, they're not perfect characters. Obviously, there's a bit of bad running through them. Sure, yeah,
0: they're not. They're not good people.
1: Yeah, but Mm -hmm. um, I got the feeling from the film that, like, the rest of the world is so like every character is terrible, Um, like terrible human beings. That they're supposed to be the heroes. Like, you're supposed to forgive their their actions because of. Kind of what they've grown up with, and you're supposed to kind of side with them and want them to escape It's the reason I hate the end. Is that like, like I say, I like I don't mind him having a weird big musical number, but I think like ending the film on basically to try and give him a happy ending, it finishes on like a fantasy bit. Like, there's no real happiness there. Like, it feels like it's a fake moment because it's a weird
0: fantasy thing that it finishes on. I completely agree. And I think, like, normally I would absolutely, like, criticise something for all of those reasons. But I think I just sort of divorced myself from the plot and just sort of... I did just kind of enjoy the spectacle a lot of occasions. And, yeah, whether or not... Like you said, I didn't care what happened to them and sort of whatever happened at the end. I do think it was a crappy ending. Like, it was unsatisfying in such a way that... I don't know. I don't know what would have been a satisfying ending for me, to be honest. Like...
1: I, I honestly think if if it was wrapped up properly, like if he if Cage wanted a relationship with his son and he walks off into the sunset, I'm not saying it'd be a great ending, but at least it'd be an attempt at an ending. Or if yeah. I don't know, Cage died in prison, or you know, someone shoots him when he gets out. Whatever, like it still feels like it's giving it a proper ending, whether you like it or not. It's the fact yeah, that it felt like a cop out to me that annoys.
0: By me. the time. By the time it got to the end, I cared so little for the sort of characters that it didn't bother me either way, I guess. Like, I didn't I didn't feel cheated that they'd got a happy ending, despite them both being yeah, fairly terrible people. It reminded me a lot uh, of it's um, it called Woody Harrelson, Julianne Lewis. Oh. Natural um, Born killers. Yeah, uh, I've not seen it. In that kind of, like, two people where you... Yeah, I guess so. What you're sort of sold is that their love is so like powerful and pure that it actually just overcomes all other sense of morality. And that like you sort of asked to take that ride with them and just kind of go with what's happening. Um I mean like I like say I can't I can't disagree with your criticism really, like in in a critical sense, it's plotless. Like <laughs> it's the characters don't develop. There's no real like thing to hold your hat to, but I enjoyed the weirdness of it all.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think you necessarily need characters to develop and stuff, to be honest. Like, I, and there could be argued that there is character development. In, in fairness, they never... He's always pretty caring about her, isn't he? He's, everything bad he does is basically because of her.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that's um, the reason I think you're supposed to side with
0: them. Um, yeah, yeah, he's never shown as being cruel, no or, he's uh, or cheating or, or anything like that but
2: yeah and he says a line about like oh, I've, I the, the classic over there's, there's darkness inside of me I've got a dark side or whatever but oh yeah some yeah. cliche line yeah <laughs> but, like, i don't know the ending didn't bother me i mean i didn't know what the fuck was going on with the wizard was like um stuff but yeah, god cool. <laughs> <Like>, why not <laughs> like, Uh, laura palmer turning up as the fucking good witch at the end yeah Um, mad as well i mean that you know it doesn't really add anything to it necessarily although it did for me it's just like i think there's literally six or seven twin peaks actors that turn up in it i think it's because he
1: was filming twin peaks at the same time so he literally just nicked cast members to just do
2: little like tiny roles which is great because you get fucking jack nance turn up like 30 seconds and he's the man and that freaky uh, woman whose name I can't remember who's like one of the uh, kind of assassin people and is just always freaky as fuck. No, I don't know. It is difficult to really say much about it. What what were the scenes that you hated, Andy?
1: Um, Anything that had any sort of driving scene, like sailor dialogue in it, I hated. (laughs) I I think I just hated... I hated that character so much. That character ruined the film for me. Like the bit where he jumps in the back seat and gets her to like drive and stuff. Like everything, all the dialogue is just so cheesy. Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like the, it just feels like really badly written. Like I know that it hasn't been written with no thought being put into it, but it just feels like every line David Lynch has been like just any throwaway cliche thing will do.
0: Like. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that I think Lynch has gone through and picked very specific cliches for their, like, meaning. But I kind of feel I'm, I'm just sort of all right to buy into that. Like, that's the, that's what he is. He's sort of a – everybody in it's a kind of 2D, depthless character. I'm kind of okay for my leading man to be just a sort of sweet snake jacket wearing cliché machine. Do you want a quick, quick little bit of trivia that I looked up earlier that I was quite pleased with? Uh, a few less interesting ones, I guess, but Nicolas Cage does all his own singing. It's very nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, believe that sounds like him. Yeah. In, the, uh, in the scene, the, the Willem Dafoe scene, that I think we probably need to tackle at some point, uh, when he goes to urinate, he actually urinates in the toilet, unbeknownst That's to close. him that it, it wasn't a real toilet and someone on the crew had to come and clean that out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Willem. <laughs> well, Lovely stuff. the best... The best fact I found was that the snakeskin jacket, it was actually Nicolas Cage's own jacket, and he asked David Lynch if he could wear it in the film as a tribute to Marlon Brando's role in The Fugitive Kind.
1: Oh, I remember hearing that, yeah. In other words, he
0: gave the jacket to Laura Dern, and the sort of connective tissue there is that The Fugitive Kind was based on the play Orpheus Descending, which was by Diane Ladd's cousin, Tennessee Williams, And Laura Dern's parents, Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern, met while doing the stage production for Orpheus Descending. In a mad roundabout way, his jacket is even cooler. I hope Laura Dern's still got it. I'd be insane to get rid of that. It's a symbol of her individuality. (laughs) And her belief in free speech. So... Willem Dafoe. I mean, it's it's a brilliant performance by how disgusting it is. Mm,
3: absolutely
0: like, impulsive. How much my skin crawled in that scene where, I mean, it's it's just a, it's effectively rape in it. Like the 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 closeness and the touching, and he's just sort of convincing her oh, it's to sex, sleep. Sexual abuse, yeah. And it's so. And he's. I mean, he's there with his little pencil mustache. He's like. Uh, mm-hmm. Gomez Adams' moustache is, like, completely fucked up teeth. That's not a comment on Willem Dafoe's actual teeth. They're fine. Like, <laughs> they're made to look fucked up.
1: It does a like, really uncomfortable licking his lips thing, like, throughout right. it, I notice, that's just just generally unpleasant. Like, it's just oh. uncomfortable
0: about it throughout. Yeah, and it's just, it's kind of like how... I'm not sure "graphics" the word, but the, like how he touches Laura Dern, you just like you feel every touch, my skin. Mm. Like even yeah, now, it, just, it, it it makes me it makes me want to. Yeah. Having said that, like Defoe's entry and the sort of robbery was a kind of big upturn for me in the film. Like I say, I think that kind of period of the film is probably my favourite bit generally, and it ends with. I mean, for no apparent reason that I can fathom uh, Willem Dafoe convinces uh, Sailor to like I don't know what is it like a uh, like a rail yard post office yeah and basically they've got five grand in the safe and it's an easy rob convince him to go there once they've got the money randomly shoot one of the tellers and then <laughs> they'd be like right I'm going to kill you now
1: oh well is the assassin that
0: He's killing oh, Of course him. he is. I forgot he had he the has coin a reason to me.
1: Yeah, he has a reason to kill uh kill it like, It's just that I don't absolutely right. I don't know why I, you'd need to pick that moment to do it. I like, know.
0: I guess by that point in the film, like there was about fourteen open plot threads that I was uh, I got lost on the who was an assassin one.
1: And all of the plot threads were <laughs> meaningless. people trying to kill Saylor.
0: <laughs> well yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Ultimately. But it climaxes with uh them running out of the <laughs> the place they've just robbed into a police officer, shoots Willem Dafoe like six times. Good shot.
3: Hmm.
0: Willem Dafoe drops his shotgun and just blows his own head off. Like it hits the, <laughs> it's so it made me like laugh out loud hmm. just this how comical it was just dropping this sawn off shotgun right under his own chin and it like literally launching in his head. Ah, oh, it's really good. It's really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I, I did first out laughing
1: watching. <laughs> it's a great death scene.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. why the uh, the movie works out, and why Lynch is so good. Because like, it's got all these absurd scenes, half of which plays comedy, and then it throws in a scene like that Defoe, you know, fuck me scene or whatever, Ugh. and it's just super effective like almost more so for all the absurdity like surrounding
0: it I think that's a good point I think when you like compare to I say him singing a crooner song at a metal gig after uh, embarrassing a man away from his like girlfriend to physical and mental sexual abuse on a a level which is genuinely sort of vile it's it's impressive (laughs) you've got to say it's real real impressive there's another bit I found quite funny, though, is when uh, when Nicolas Cage first meets his son, Pace, mm-hmm. and she says, like, shake your daddy's hand. He shakes his hand, and at first pace, he's, like a bit scared, doesn't know what to do. And then for just a brief flash, he does like this knowing nod like an old man, just like, you'll do. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a change on his face. He just sort of goes, mm-hmm. yep, you're my daddy. <laughs> That's fine. Mm-hmm. I just thought all of that plot of him, you know, six years without a dad and now this guy wanders up all fixed with just a glance. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone got any
2: more thoughts or do you want final, uh, final assessments? Well, I'll go. It's a, I'll give it an eight. Okay. But I, think... I will say, it's, it's, not, it's not my favourite Lynch film. I think it's kind of mid-tier Lynch overall. Mm. But it's been a while. It's brought since the uh, Twin Peaks The Return. I haven't watched any Lynch since then and I just fucking love that guy. So I think I've watched a lot of fucking films recently and just watching one of his and how kind of unique they are. It just really fucking works for me. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, undoubtedly unique. I think you giving it an eight makes me feel better about, I was thinking a seven and I think Mm -hmm. that feels right. Like I'm a bit, I'm a bit softer on it than you, but I did, I did enjoy it ultimately. Uh, and I think just the experience and the absurdity of the filmmaking is uh, is the draw for me there. I'm going to give it a six.
1: No number really feels right, but, like, I can't give it a high mark. The first time I watched it, can't it...
2: be a six, man. You've watched it three times. Happy.
1: Yeah, I know. And that's the thing. Like, if somebody asked me, like, should I watch it,
2: I would say you definitely <laughs> should. You definitely six should watch is like... it six is like middle of the road isn't it? it's just like but gotta make a stand one
1: way or the other i don't, i can't like because i have very very mixed feelings on it like bits of it are incredible bits of it are awful in, in my humble opinion i can't i can't give a film a high mark when i hate the main character that much and yeah like i have massive massive issues with loads of the dialogue in it and then bits are incredible. So I've got. I've got if we give him five as a bang average film, then mm-hmm. I've got. I've got to go above that because it's. Like I say, I would recommend it to people to watch, but not necessarily on a. You should watch this. It's an incredible film,
0: sort of scope. So yeah, six yeah, out of
1: ten. Yeah, that is fair.
0: Right. Well, we've given our verdict. So no more opinions. They're set in stone forever. Six, seven, and eight. Six, seven, eight. Just like steps. So, for the filling of our sandwich, your album choice. So, I mean, is it just Meta Meta, or I don't really fully understand how accents work?
1: Yeah, I think so. Meta uh, I don't know. Uh, that's what I've been calling them.
0: Grand. MM3. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, I, uh, I chose this album. It's been on my, like, possible list for ages. I save albums sometimes on Spotify with the intention on going back and giving them a... Proper listen, because there's, like, something in there that I like on first listen. Yeah. And uh, so it's relatively new to me as well. Like, I hadn't picked it because it's a, like, super favourite.
0: Sure. I like I like a lot of this album, actually. Like, I think the first sort of three tracks are pretty top.
1: The first track's superb, I think. Super light, sultry, almost like jazz saxophone. Yeah, I found it
0: difficult to sort of think about what what it is. it is. It's almost like... It is kind of broadly jazz, but with sort of a slight kind of afrobeat element to it.
1: I think there's a lot of jazz influence to it, but I wouldn't. I don't think it's necessarily a jazz album. Jazz.
0: Occasionally, I think it plunges into its own like sort of sense of chaos. Um, I think particularly the last track. Oh, the last track's ace as well. Really good. Uh, I think uh, I found that one a little bit annoying. <laughs> oh, did you? I really. Yeah. Liked it. there are just a couple of parts where I think the kind of uh, there's a sort of atonality sections and in those minutes they just don't quite do it for me like i like them when they're at their kind of grooviest and that like uh smoky jazz club vibe mm. low lights and groovy hooks i think that's
1: what the like first track like absolutely pulls absolutely. you into.
2: yeah i kind of liked it less as it went on aside from track six because it kind of kicks into another gear like towards the end of track six and there's like bits like like the blatantly brazilian or whatever um, yeah, so. and when it actually embraces like that kind of upbeat groove stuff it's it's pretty fun like i think the there's a bit where she's singing along with the sax melody on like the second to last track and it's very like reminiscent of something like gong which is obviously yeah. appealing to me yeah but, a lot of it is very kind of drony and kind of gothic. I'm not a big fan of the singer at all, I've got to say. She's kind of cool where she just lets loose and just starts wailing and going a bit mad. But generally, her vocal melodies just didn't really do it for me. They're all very, very similar in every song. And yeah, for the first song, it works. And for the second, it also kind of works, but... And it just has that thing where there's just like a bass line at the start of the song for a lot of them. And it just basically repeats that, like for the duration of the tune. And they're not like particularly inspiring. Um, And the sax stuff at times is super cool. And at other times it's just sort of doing that sort of discordant John Zorn kind of thing. I don't know. I didn't I didn't dislike it. But I definitely had some issues with like the, the vocal melodies and stuff. It's funny because I was, rather than just listening to
1: it, like try and think of <laughs> concise opinions on it, like it flows quite well as an album. And then I sort of thought it's weird that because you are right about it being hard to nail down to a genre, whereas I think you can pin down some tracks to a genre. Yeah, yeah, individual and tracks. I think the actual, like the similarities in the vocals throughout it are probably the thing that, makes it hang together even though quite a lot of the tracks are quite different from each other
0: a lot of the instruments sound the same you know in terms of the way they've been kind of recorded and produced in as much yeah. that although they often play quite different styles i think there's a, a commonality in the overall kind of tone of it
3: mm. i
0: think like i i wasn't kind of really drawn to the, her vocals but they they sort of just sat back into the mix as as part like just another part of instrumentation of those songs. I didn't dislike her vocals at all. Like I thought they suited the overall sound. Like I say, I didn't walk away from it thinking that's a singer that like I would follow to different projects. But within within the sound, I think they were going for. I kind of like her style in that.
1: I think that there's something with the vocals not being in English with that as well. Of like, I think your, yeah. Ear, yeah. your ear gets drawn to the vocals when you're, like, understanding the words. Um, <laughs> like, lyrics aren't mega important to me in songs, but I think, like, you, you're definitely drawn to it more. And without that, and particularly with saxophone, through mm-hmm. the, like, like, there's a lot of unison through the, like, main sort of vocal hooks and stuff. But, when they're not, they're quite often playing like completely different melody lines. And I think because you haven't got lyrics to listen to, your ear's drawn to the saxophone and it's almost like the like the vocal line is just another melody. Like it's not the main melody. It's just another one. I
2: think your ear picks out either. Yeah, there is. And it is impressive how, I think, from what I could tell at least, and that I may be wrong, but it sounded very... Kind of live. I, d- I didn't detect many, like, you know, multi tracks of guitar or anything like that. It-, it seemed like pretty much there's just one guitar track, one side, sax on the other.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. Um,
2: and I respect that. Considering it's sort of obviously got a world music edge to it, it just feels a bit downbeat to me for the most part. It sounded like bad rock music at times, like just the sort of music I just don't like. And
0: I think that's it. They're touching on lots of like genre touchstones. And if it touches a stone that you don't care for, I think that's it, it might stand out in the whole thing. I think they're the kind of band that I'd be happy to have in my like big long list to come up on. Random,
2: yeah, agreed. I'll, I'll definitely listen to it more and I'll definitely. There's certainly two or three tracks that I liked more than others. It's funny because I liked it quite a lot, but
1: my I'm wondering whether I'm just a bit um, more forgiving on albums because a lot of your description I completely agree with. Like The same, I'd be more than happy if it comes up on random, but it's not going go to go onto my list of albums that I bang on when I want to listen to like something that I know and love. Um, and same like two or three tracks stood out to me um well maybe yeah three tracks stood out to me um
2: and the rest was decent but like does it does it have any of those moments where and music doesn't necessarily need this but it certainly like usually helps for me when there's like a chord change or a note choice or something or a melodic movement it's like oh fuck that's cool Kind of catches your ear off guard a bit and then every time you listen to it after that sort of becomes like the bit you're listening out for mm-hmm. it, it it didn't really have many moments at like that for me because a lot of the a lot of the progressions are very repetitive which is fine i guess but like as an example like what is it the first song where the chorus is just uh like I don't that's think it,
1: familiar? it does, but I don't think it's track one. If I might be wrong, because that track two, the proper like almost like punk rock one.
2: Yeah, which is actually kind of cool. So, that's when my point does not stand because <laughs> I like that one. Just that 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 example there is just very like. There's nothing to that, is there? I think you know what I mean. I think that's played in
1: like unison with the um, saxophone. I I like some of those bits though. Like I think they hit on quite a like big sound with the kind of unison that they hit mm-hmm. on sometimes yeah. like because what is it like drum bass guitar sax vocals I think like that's, pretty much that's it like it's not it's not like you've got like three guitars smashing up like what or sound at you. yeah like i think they hit like quite a, like massive sound at certain parts i sort of like the big drone unison choruses and
0: yeah. yeah i i definitely agree those like moments you describe those kind of little chord changes or, like, little moments of invention in music mm. are always, like, appealing and a draw. But I, I, I've got room in my, like, music canon for, and I don't say this as a, as a detriment, but kind of, like, more drone music, you know, like music which is kind yeah. of sort of functions around a single idea for three minutes or... or yeah, I don't yeah. I don't
1: mind you hitting on a groove and
0: just keeping that groove going. I've got, kind mm. of got a running theory at the moment. You may agree or disagree that, like particularly when you talk about stuff that you like with other people, like discuss opinions, I think what it formulates down to is like everything is just made of tropes, but some of the tropes you like and some of the tropes you don't like. And I think it's one of those here, like that chorus is kind of a rock trope. Like you say, it's big, it's all guitars and splashy cymbals and, and drum stuff. It's quite a sort of simple melody in a you know, rock-ish rockish. Kind of style, but if it's just not a trope that you're into, then like that completely sort of writes that thing off. I don't think it's bad music because it's not because it it lacks that kind of extra level. Like I, I don't I don't think everything has to be. I
2: told- it's, it's not bad. It was just purely like the melody is just non-existent for a lot of it for me. I, mm-hmm. You know. But I, I don't want to feel like I'm just shitting on it, which I mostly have. i I do think, no, I think it, it's reasonable criticism. I think from what you were
1: saying as well about, like, did it have that kind of, that moment where you're like, that chord change is superb. It's usually mm-hmm. like a little unexpected moment. Yeah, it, exactly. It didn't have that for me, but I think very few albums, I think, do. Like, the that's a little like pinnacle thing for me like it's often a reason why i absolutely love something it's just some like the top one percent sort of yeah some like standout Mm -hmm. moment that you that one second moment in a song like the rest of the song is Mm -hmm. great but that one moment just lifts it and Mm -hmm.
2: yeah very few albums and songs have that for me yeah, I mean, maybe the little moment, I, I agree. I, although I do think most of those are forgotten once you've listened to something loads of times. You just kind of get used to it and forget what it was that yeah. sort of sold you in the first place. But it's not just that, it's just generally, I don't know. They, they were, to me, they weren't really bringing anything new to the table. Like I, if I was, I would never kind of present any of those chord sequences because I would just think that bland for the most part. And it's not really music about that. It's clearly about like the groove and like the rhythm and whatever, and that's that's cool. And I guess as a general rule, I'm not really massively into that. I do kind of prefer harmony and melody and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that's entirely fair. And I think as well, like I perhaps uh, I don't know. Like I'm I'm relatively like middling on this album as well. I can't like I'm, I'm perhaps defending it slightly devil's advocate, but. I kind of agree with your assessment, Andy. I think there are sort of three or four tracks that really stood out to me. And one hand, like one part of me says, I wish they just kind of did more of that. Like if you make me a 10 track album of that kind of sexy jazz style. On the other hand, I wouldn't, I'd never want to sort of discourage a band like that to stop experimenting. Like, oh, you've hit, you've hit Agreed. a thing. Just do that for three more albums would be dog shit. So, like, I'm in twisted minds a bit because I don't, I don't think what they do in experimentation always works and I agree with you Mark I think as the album goes on the ratio of hits to misses gets worse I think I think there are further misses but when it is working I really dig the sound of it like
2: I'd, I'd love to see them live having having been quite critical I you know still given that opportunity I think they'd probably be fan, fucking fantastic live I think they would be a cool um, live band, absolutely and Andy is spot on as well where lyrics would change things i think and it's i'm not a lyric guy either but you know having just complained about like the lack of melodies to my choice or whatever if i had some i don't know if i knew what they were saying that could change completely yeah i mean fucking it doesn't matter that it's even good. <laughs> like bad
1: lyrics is bad lyrics is bad and that's like unforgivable but I mean, I don't mean unforgiving. I mean, literally, like, I can't get past it. Like, if the lyrics Mm -hmm. are terrible, then that's going to ruin it for me. But, like, most songs, I think the lyrics are fine, they're middling. I don't really care about it. But I just think that you're in actually, like, picks on to that. Like, you're going to pick out more than you would hearing something in a language which you don't speak. I, I love it when lyrics are great, but, like, I say, it's not that important to me.
0: Um, but I think great lyrics are like that special moment in a song. It's like that top 1% in it that yeah. truly writes something which is worth, that can be read on its own and still like, have value beyond just being some cheesy line in a song. Yeah, for sure.
1: What, what's your rating then, boys? This no half's business. Is, uh, makes it tricky. But I think you have to, because otherwise you're basically rating out a 20.
0: Yeah, then, <laughs> that's nice. a that point. <laughs> At that point, it might as well we're... be a hundred.
2: <laughs> I I would absolutely do a hundred. I'm fine with that.
0: But this just is with... this is this said. So this is my problem with like scales more than five. Generally, I think you just need five. You've got like awful, bad, fine, good, and brilliant.
2: No, but uh, then, then you can't. There's no <laughs>
0: differentiation between like. You I might. don't think you'd, that, yeah, I just don't think you'd like, you have to. Again, like when you, if you give it. In... I have to, trust me. <laughs> I'm <you. laughs> <laughs> kind of with Mark,
1: I found the film really hard and I'm between two numbers for the album. Like, I, I don't really know whether I'm going to be generous or not. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't worry me to be that accurate, I guess. I think mean, that's like. Um... I'm, I'm going to give it seven, seven out of ten. I, I think like there's loads in it that I really, really like. Um... I so, I kind of agree with your criticisms. A lot of the songs had to pass me by a little bit. The songs that are good, I think, are great. Um, I think it's pretty, like, listenable. I think there's enough, like, interest in there. You're right, it's not kind yeah. of harmony and it's not harmony chord progressions and, like, there's not a lot of interest in that, but their sort of general vibe and little grooves that they hit on. I say I like the big wall of noise, like, choruses that they get sometimes. So I'll go,
0: yeah, so seven out of ten. I think I'm nice. pretty much right in your camp there, Andy, so I'll make it easy and just go seven out of ten. I'm between a five and a six.
2: So if we say like a five. Six, six was my instinct, in fairness. I was thinking six to start off with, but then I was like, mm-hmm. actually, it feels a, a little generous, but I'm going to stick with it. I think there were certainly three or four songs which I liked quite a bit. So that's not bad out of nine, is it, I suppose? Nine songs
0: in total. Okay, so we come to the bottom slice of our Nicolas Cage sandwich. Some might say the best slice, the bottom. Now, top five list of Nicolas Cage films... Uh, how do you want to approach it? Do you just want to, like, one of us go through our five? Or do you want to go... I mean, I've not done mine in, in any specific order, I've got to
1: oh, say. I have. I've uh, definitely
0: one to five you,
2: them. You've, you've got to do a specific order, man. This, this okay. Be, uh... I'll give you 30 well,
0: seconds. Yeah. I'll, no, I'll, rough, I'll rustle these into a, into a rough order. Uh, I'm going to just... Reinstate once again. I've sort of tried to purposely avoid things that I thought you might pick. So I've also got a honorable mentions to maybe look like less of a a bag of dicks.
2: There's a bunch I haven't seen, by the way. May as well mention that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's loads in the list that I haven't seen.
2: Yeah, I think basically, probably his most highly regarded films I've I've not actually seen. Fair enough. Cool. Uh, My number five is Took Some Thought. Real, real thought, and um, I sacked off Connor, face off, and the Rock, and shoved in National Treasure. And stuff.
0: <laughs> Lovely stuff. Now, see, I was here thinking it didn't make my top five. It's in my honourable mentions, but I was thinking I was going to have to sit here and defend National Treasure, <laughs> not for being a good film, but for just not being as bad as it's made out to be. Yeah, I, like, th-
2: th- mate, this is it. Like literally, I watched it with Sophie about three months ago on streaming.
0: And he's a perfectly serviceable, like, well, yeah, adventure exactly. film.
2: I, I expect it to be fucking shit. and it, As you say, it's perfectly serviceable. And for that glorious achievement, it's uh, it's number five. Yeah. Um, I did kind of like John Voight. I always liked John Voight. Yeah. Particularly in that era where he just, I don't know, he's, he's always the same, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's just playing his like Tomb Raider role I- I- exactly the same again yeah. and there's
0: another, another case of parent and child playing parent and child in a film
2: yeah no it's just, it's just watchable isn't it and, and again for that it's um, number 5
0: fair play and Dino number 5
1: uh, number 5 I've gone Matchstick Men nice it, it's decent it's got Sam Rockwell in, which is a good enough reason for liking the film yeah uh, no. well that's good
2: enough good enough for a Nicolas cage list
1: yeah i decided to rule out ones like there's quite a lot of decent films like particularly recently that he's in but they're not Nicolas cage films like he's just a bit part in it so i didn't include like like i think kick ass is a better film than matchstick men but didn't include that um spider-man into the spider-verse is that was uh, yeah um, didn't include that for the same reason. Like he barely has any screen time, although he is pretty, pretty killer. <laughs> is
2: Magic Men Ridley really Scott? I... Yeah, I think it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah no, you're right.
2: I've, well, I've not seen it. It's one of the many I've not seen. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that is one of Cage's like generally good films. You say Sam Rockwell is is quality in it. Okay, so I've had to order these fairly quickly. My number five. I'll preface this with acknowledging this isn't a good film but it is my fifth favourite Nicolas Cage film and that is Gone in 60 Seconds. What, I mean again if we're, ta- if we're talking about Cage just sort of like what his motivations for scenes are I have absolutely no idea. Like he's extraordinary in that film because he's just he's tonally everywhere. Combine that with Angelina Jolie another reference mm-hmm. with uh, blonde dreadlocks <laughs> <laughs> Vinnie Jones is in it, who silenced the entire, entire film until he just says a bit of Shakespeare at the end. And that's it.
2: That is marvelous. Yeah. yeah, It's a good,
0: like,
1: it's not, good say, job, it's- uh, yeah, I was about to say that's a good film. It's not a good film, but like,
0: I massively enjoyed it. That's it. It came out in our collective childhoods. I think what people may forget is that it came out at the, roughly the same time as Fast and Furious, the first one. I was um, going to say, yeah. And obviously one, one franchise now has like nine installments and, you know, one is a masterpiece. So <laughs> the pick, who's laughing now? What's your number four, Marco? Uh,
2: my number four is The Weatherman. Very nice. I think it's decent. I've only seen it once, I, I can't remember a lot about it, but it's, uh, I think it's Gore Verbinski, who I actually tend to quite like his stuff.
0: I think there have been a few instances where actors who kind of don't deserve to have a role in a very serious, quite sort of meaningful drama, sort of pull it off. Like Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love... Um, what
1: a soundtrack oh as well John Bryan yeah. it does the soundtrack soundtrack's just superb I think throughout. it
0: is yeah and, and like Jim Carrey and things like The Truman Show mm. where they, they sort of elevate their normal almost clown-like persona and I think that is a film where Nicolas Cage is sort of allowed to do that and, and to be treated like a, an actor really
1: yeah no for sure so I went to Lord of War uh, for number four He's an arms dealer, and he has like he's starting to have like moral issues of his like
0: arms deals.
1: And um, doesn't it
0: begin with like both the both of his parents being killed? Yeah, um, by guns, and then like finding himself being uh, yeah like one of the world's leading sort of private arms dealers. Yeah, because
1: the like characters are a bit of a like crossroads. Like, there's a reason for some of the Cage slight weirdness, like top film? Uh,
0: okay. I mean, you have really going to make my, my list look real like lowbrow, I'll be honest. You've had my, my three and two, which were Matchstick Men and Lord of War, respectively. <laughs> so I'm going to pull from my, uh, my, my mentions list. But first of all, I'm gonna give you what is in my number four slot. And again, I know this isn't a good film, but boy do I enjoy it for some reason, and that is next.
3: Oh, well,
1: I like next as well. I considered it, but I think it is kind of bad. I think I'm pretty confident it's bad, but there's something <laughs> about it. It's that... Philip <laughs> it book, isn't it? It's yeah, two, well, two seconds into the future.
0: That's right. So can uh, two minutes. seconds into two minutes sorry, into that's right, future. two minutes into his own future. Yeah and basically just uses it to gamble good. but and then the FBI then... uses it to solve crimes. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bonkers action film, but just has this weird, fairly interesting core concept of this, like, two-minute clairvoyance that gets me into all sorts of, like, scrapes. And, uh, yeah, I've got a real, real warm spot for next. Right,
2: I'll go for... Bad Lieutenant at number three.
0: Yeah, it's in honourable Mentions.
2: It's like a Werner Herzog film. I've only seen it once again, and he is in mad Nicolas Cage mode, but I think it's actually, it works really well in that one.
0: Yes, yeah, um, it's, it's a film made for him, like for somebody yeah. to just be off the chain.
1: Um, What, well, we're on three?
0: Uh, yeah, you're on number three.
1: Uh, Raised in Arizona. It's got to be pretty early, like Coen Brothers, hasn't it?
0: I must the admit, i second. I've no, I've never seen Raising Arizona.
2: I, I have never seen it either. I looked it up earlier, and it was their second film, apparently. Right, like it's kind of full of like charm. It's pretty funny in bits.
1: Cage plays a kind of hick, and it's pretty good in it. Again, like fairly like reined in though. Yeah, it's full of like charm and quirks. It's uh, it's good. Recommend to watch.
0: Okay, so my number three, what am I going to put in? Uh, number three. So now I feel like I want to dip out of my honourable mentions because I said number three originally was going to be Matchstick Man, but uh, you swiped me there. So I am going to include Bringing Out the Dead. Again, one of Cage's much straighter roles. Martin Scorsese. It's basically, Nicholas Cage is like a, a, an ambulance driver in Manhattan. Is just kind of tormented and haunted by all the patients he's kind of failed to save. As he drive around drives around New York at night and gets into all sorts of mad scrapes, like people jumping off buildings and shootings, and it's a pretty kind of Scorsese, just gangland kind of kind of feel. But again, it's Nicolas Cage being allowed to do a bit of the crazy as we kind of you watch a man uh, kind of break down uh, over his life being really awful. But I think Cage like keeps it at a point where it is, it remains poignant and never gets like insane. Okay. That's yeah. a serious one. Get ready for uh, Astro Boy at number two.
2: <laughs> that straight. <was> strange. <laughs> right, I, I'm going to reverse my thing at the last minute. Con- oh. Controversial. Oh, So I, I'm going to put Wild at Heart at number two.
0: Wow. It, it was Wowza. number one. Whoa, holy shit.
2: Yeah, well look like at the end of the day it was a I just gave it eight out of ten. I thought it was uh I don't know, I, I was really happy that Andy uh suggested it actually. Because I don't think I'd I'd have ever watched it. I've had it for so many years and it's just never been watched and mm. I I really enjoyed it. So yeah, it can be I'm happy with it at number two. Fair, fair. fair. Uh I've got um
1: cages. Oscar winning performance in uh, leaving Las Vegas was uh-huh, number two. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty simple simple plot to be honest. Like, is he a screenwriter or something like that? So it's irrelevant. Like think, he's yeah. He basically has lots of money and uh decides to commit suicide by drinking himself to death in Las Vegas. He mm-hmm. befriends a prostitute for a bit. I think he basically pays her to hang around with him. And um yeah, genuinely good Cage performance and
0: really good film. So is it my number 2 Mm-hmm. It's a bit difficult, really, because, like, Lord of War was my number two, and there's nothing in my honourable mentions which, like, should usurp Lord <laughs> of War as number two. Um, so I'm going to pick Bangkok Dangerous. No, Bangkok Dangerous is terrible, but I really like the name. But <laughs> <laughs> It's fine, you're allowed to have Floor uh, War. Yeah, I have nothing more to say on it, but it just, it, it just is a genuinely good film, and, uh, and Cage is, is good in it. I've got a prediction of what both of your number ones are. I'm I'm, I'll let you say them first. But I'm no, sure. no, 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 you've you got to do the
2: predictions first. Yeah, yeah.
0: okay. Um, i got a feeling that your number one Nicolas Cage film, Marco,
2: yep.
0: is the remake of Wicker Man.
2: Interesting. It's it's not it, it should be ah. in there. It really fucking should be in there to be honest. I actually quite liked it at the cinema. No shame. I watched it with Cy
0: and both of us. I had a had a riot. I thought no, it was te- thought it was terrible. I, I like the bees <laughs> I like it when he punches the like the big woman in the pub. Yeah. But other, but otherwise, yeah, not, not a cork <laughs> of that one. But yeah, I I uh I, I misread you there, buddy, yeah, I was anticipating that one.
2: My number one, I mean, it it probably has no place been now. It's a little little sci-fi movie called Knowing.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember Knowing. I'd sort of completely forgot about it. It's
2: uh, Alex Prias, who did, like, Dark City and uh, Mm a couple of other things. Knowing is based on a one-watch at the cinema and just being like, that was a fucking good time at the cinema and it's got a fucking dark as fuck ending it's got it's just a weird film I remember at the time just thinking it just goes off on all sorts of like different genres throughout have you have you you seen it? no no I don't well it's his best film it's just categorically number one (laughs) categorically number one yeah Um, I mean if it's better than uh, Wild
1: at Heart then might have to check it out
2: Well, exactly. I can't believe you've not gotten that Wild at Heart in
0: your list, by the way. I never considered it. It is, is, Matt. Like, your relationship with that (laughs) film is insane. I don't think I have a film in my repertoire that I, like, hate as much and just go back to and watch. I don't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but hate's not right. It is the entire reason I picked it. Like, there is no other film (laughs) that I have as mixed an opinion on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's interesting. So um, adaptation was my my prediction for you, Andy. I oh might yeah, be your number one. It is completely correct. Yeah, great film. And to be frank, probably would have been mine had I not have predicted that you would put it as your number one.
1: I really loved. I think Charlie Kaufman writes the. In fact, Charlie Kaufman does write the screenplay because um, the main character is a screenwriter called Charlie Kaufman. That
2: kind of makes me hate
0: the movie already. It's super pretentious. Like, yeah, um, it's got quite a lot of that like meta stuff in it. There's a the whole being John Malkovich bit in there.
1: From what I remember, I haven't
0: watched it in a while, in fairness. Um, are they are they in the middle of making
1: being John Malkovich? I think it's as he's just finishing being John Malkovich's approach to make a movie based on this book. Is it called The Orch- right. Orchid Thief or something like that? Um,
0: that sounds right. And um, they start smoking, smoking loads of this orchid.
1: Yeah. I think Cage is, like, really good in it as well. Like, he plays um, Charlie Kaufman, and he plays Charlie Kaufman's brother in it. Kaufman has a bit of a, like, breakdown through the making of the film, and so they hire his brother to finish the film, and his brother is, like, the, like, antithesis
0: of him. A very successful but quite pulpy writer, isn't it, compared to...
1: yeah. I think it's really well written, and it's Spike Johns who directs it. So yeah, it was a pretty <laughs> e-
0: easy pick for me, even though I haven't seen it for years. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So it was definitely in my honourable mentions. But my number one, despite being cussed down by Andy for only having a bit part, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, mainly because I just I love that film, and he happens to be in it.
1: Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's a good
0: film. Like, is Nicolas like, Cage good in it? I mean, he's in it. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah he's pretty good in it. I think, like, you
1: know, like Spider Man kind of like,
0: Noir. Yes, yeah, Spider Man Noir, nineteen like thirties, <laughs> guns out in vigilante. It's a great. It does
2: film. feel. It does feel a little bit like putting like Robin Hood's Prince of Thieves as your favourite Sean Connery movie. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I'll be honest, a lot of my favourite Sean Connery films, he's not necessarily the lead. Like I'd put um, Last Crusade in. Oh, yeah, but he's a pretty Obviously. major character. Obviously. I don't know. I don't care.
1: I like that film and he's in it. Yeah, it was <laughs> I am not <laughs> criticizing you for picking it. I I put my own rules on my uh, on my decision. I'm surprised
2: no one had any of the kind of Bruckheimer ones in there at all. I'm quite pleased by it actually, because that's shit. So
0: Yeah, no, I've never cared. Like Conair, face off had never done it for me. I, t- I, I don't I don't mind Conair at all
1: to be honest like it's you can't not enjoy somebody like not flinching when they get shot in the eye. just carrying on shoulder, yeah. just <laughs> carry on walking
0: oh I mean, that's just cool just walk it off it's just a bully ring. i, can, I think there were sort of two brands of like 80s action and adventure and i think like Con Air and face off fall into the same category of, as what the expendables are trying to recapture of kind of, like, just pure machoism. And I think I prefer that kind of 80s action where it's a bit camper.
2: The Expendables is pretty camper.
0: I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, it's, it's sort of kitschy in that way, but it's just, it, I, I hate, I hate The Expendables. I never, never watched its sequels. Um, yeah, I, think, I just think, like, there's a lot of those kind of Jean-Claude Van Damme things that I think you could kind of appreciate if you're really into martial arts and stunts but otherwise just yeah, bring me the fun 80s I always try and like, sell Robocop as well as a film that has like, a, a meaning about police state and brutality it's not just a dumb sort of thing like, yeah, because all sure. the sequels are really dumb Starship Troopers, that's another one much more meaning than it like, appears yeah, to have on the surface I think God, sci-fi's good though, isn't it? What's Knowing,
2: mate? Great sci-fi film
0: yeah, yeah, I'd have to get it on the list. It's got to be
1: 9 out of 10. It's in front of the 8 out of 10.
0: Uh, Wilder oh, yeah, I
2: mean, obviously.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe 10 out of 10. Yeah, perfect. Maybe a big yeah. 10, maybe, maybe. That's all from us at Screen and Needle. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing the film The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc Sec, the album Little Tybee by the band little tybee and the top five list will be our top five video game soundtracks join us then